Uh, did you guys see that rainbow outside before he walked in? That was a good omen, right? I think at the end of that rainbow is a pot of gold. Yeah. God, I was hoping you wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's something. All right. Should we start the show? Yeah. All right. Let's do that. <laughs> Welcome to uh, episode 15 yeah. of the Yeah You Ride podcast. This is Bodie Bodie. Hey, this is the T-Bone. And this is Sochirio. And today we have a special guest. The first time that we've recorded live with somebody, Yep. we have Mr. Charlie Thomas. Guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in. It's an absolute thrill to be on. I was pretty excited when you walked in with pizza. Well, I was excited when the lights went out. <laughs> hey. <laughs> We, you know, we keep it chilling here. Yeah. Because I've listened, but I've never really pictured what was going on, you know, yeah. outside of just the thoughts in my own head. And so being here, you know, experiencing it, it's just, it's a different level. Yeah, Curi- I'm curious what the picture in your mind was of, of uh, how this all worked out. Uh, Sertirio is in a smoking jacket. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, it's at the cleaners. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, it got a little messy last after last week's show. Sorry to disappoint. Yeah. You don't, well, want, you don't want to wear it out. What was I wearing, Charlie, just out of curiosity? I, I'm not sure I ever made it all the way over to U-Town, so it would kind of stop at the smoking jacket. Oh, yeah, it's a hard image to get over. Yeah. Well, matched with the budgie smugglers, it's a great oh, look. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so have we already had our theme music play? Because we need to give a shout-out to, uh, to uh, Vicnet, uh, the uh, French DJ. Yeah, uh, I think, well, if, if you're listening to this episode, you probably... Got it from iTunes, hopefully, this week. Because now, I mean, the big news, I mean, drum roll, yeah. the Yay Red podcast is on iTunes. Yeah. So you can subscribe, and all of our podcasts will be in your feed automatically. No more using the SoundCloud app um, or streaming from the website. Unless you want to. Yeah, you sure can. I'll st- we'll still post them to the, uh, the blog. And I uh, believe you'll be able to save them offline. Is that right? For your listening pleasure? Absolutely. Is sure. That, through that, the uh, through the iTunes podcast app on your uh, iPhone or Android device. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons why we hadn't been on iTunes yet is we didn't really have the rights to some of the music <laughs> we were using. Uh, we won't talk too much I'm about I'm not that. admitting that. My lawyer is in the room. True. <laughs> okay. I was not aware of any of that, guys. You, you don't know that you didn't. You really just wanted to play it safe. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and so here we are. So here we are with our theme song is from Townsend, I believe you found it. That yeah, is... Vic, Vic Net, a French DJ. Uh, Chinese Sportswear is the name of the uh, track that we have used with permission. It is. Uh, and attribution. Thank you, Mr. Vic Net, whomever you are. We've not met you. Uh, and we have slightly modified it with a little help from our own DJ, Sir Cheerio, uh, adding a nice little voiceover and looping it just a bit. So we've modified it. Uh, but uh, thanks to VicNet for yeah. uh, the use of the opening theme music, and also thanks to my good friend Grant Curry of X Felines um, for the outro that we used last week and that we will be using again this week. Yeah, uh, you can find X Felines on Spotify, and you can find VicNet uh, on YouTube. And if anybody out there has any uh, little bits of incidental music that they would like to send us, uh, copyright free, we will give you a shout out uh, if we choose to use it uh, throughout our podcast. 
Absolutely. Music is a big part of this podcast. I, I think I, so. I, I, uh, I really like the incidental music that we toss in there every now and again. Uh, music and bikes go hand in hand, and so... Just like just like coffee and bikes. Yeah. And beer. Beer and podcasting. That's right. And we've got a little bit of all that right now. I'm yeah. Drinking, yeah. I'm drinking an iced coffee. You guys are drinking a beer? Um, before we sort of, you know, do the thing where we talk about ourselves too much at the beginning of a podcast, mm. I want to, I wanna like, we've got Charlie Thomas here, um... So let's talk about you, Charlie. Can you tell us a little bit, first of all, I mean, a lot of folks might know you from Bike Law. So can you tell me how you got started with Bike Law and what what does Bike Law do generally? Sure. Yeah. Um, bike Law was started in the late 90s by an attorney out of South Carolina. His name's Peter Willborn, and he's basically the guy who leads us today. Uh, Peter's a huge bike advocate, and he was with this very like white shoe polished uh, law firm, one of the mega firms out of DC. And really, I think he just kind of got sick of it at one point, um, especially around the time when his brother was killed on his bicycle. And he said, I want to go in a different direction. I don't want to just represent some faceless corporation. Nothing against that, that's just not for me, uh, for the rest of my life. So I'm going to shift gears here and where can I make a difference? Where can I try and, and keep this from happening again? Just, you know, the tragedy that hit hard. Um, so unexpected, so close to home, all of that. So he started representing bicyclists in through an advocacy-based way, really wants to reduce the number of crashes. We all ride. It's not like we're just a bunch of slick personal injury attorneys. Nothing yeah. against them. Yeah. You're, pretty, um, you're a pretty slick, uh, pretty slick looking <laughs> attorney there, Charlie. Uh, well, you know, it depends on the day. But, um, <laughs> but really, he started building up a faction of um, bike advocates and people yeah. who were supporting what he was doing in South Carolina and all of a sudden found Bike Law Ann in North Carolina and she started doing the same thing and they kind of spread across the country pretty organically. So what Bike Law is, is we're a network of attorneys. We're each licensed in the states that we cover. So it's really nice because they're you know, very strict geographical yeah. outlines of where we can all go practice. Mm-hmm. But what we all do is we ride number one Number two, we care about people who ride and we want to represent them. We want to make it a lot safer. Uh, and when things go wrong, which again, we're trying to counteract, but when they do go wrong, we want to help people in the best way that we can in the courtroom and go fight for individual causes. So it's nice that we can all team up and we can share experts and ideas. And most of the time, somebody in the network, if we have 20 something attorneys, has seen a very nuanced issue. Yeah. And so, you know, Practicing bike law, um, it's a little bit ambiguous just because what is bike law? We kind of define it as really anything that has to do with bicycles and the law and where they converge. Um, So that could be anything from more Townsend's specialty, which is criminal practice, which we really don't do. But if somebody is stopped improperly uh, on their bicycle, some probable cause issue um, that might need to be looked at and they're patted down, they have something on them. Yeah, we'd send them right over to Townsend. You're blowing um, my cover here, Charlie. Nobody in podcast land knew that I was a lawyer. I think they all thought I was a former pro cyclist. So <laughs> thanks for that, buddy. I, I just thought that it was hashtag NOLA criminal law that was sponsoring your pro cycling team. Yeah, and we do meet every day in a law library. So I mean, every week in a law library. So I guess people have maybe figured that out by now. Well, Townsend, your cover's blown. But yeah, Charlie, I was going to say, you know, so I bumped into you in uh, down in traffic court. Um, you represent, I guess, sort of two categories of people, cyclists who've been injured in crashes, often with vehicles, right. where you represent the cyclist 
uh, to recover from either the driver or the insurance company, et cetera. Exactly. Uh, and then you also represent cyclists uh, who have been ticketed or cited themselves for some sort of conduct, often in improperly, right? Often improperly. And then I'll say the third type of person that we represent is more like the municipal court or the traffic court setting. If you are the victim of some sort of like, whether it's a hit and run and the person's found or just some sort of of traffic charge that's been um, applied against the driver, you kind of need an advocate in your corner sure. because the city really just does not have the resources to prosecute somebody and in in that, you know, I'll say giving it the proper attention that it should deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and because what we see is, uh, just a quick example, uh, Rebecca Abernathy was this nice young lady who was hit in front of the World War II Museum um, in, in a hit and run that was captured on oh, video. yes, I remember that. And she was just riding the bike lane and essentially blown up by this car who just leaves her there. The driver has no idea if she is alive, dead, doesn't care. She's lucky she's He's alive. Off. That video is horrific, she man. Is, she gets taken out. She is so lucky. And so, and we're lucky that we had you know, video of the car yeah. and the actual incident happening. And so, yeah, it sparks some outrage whenever you can see the actual incident, like yeah. anything, right? I'm sure you all saw this recent up in yeah, the Natchez. Yeah, we the wanted Natchez to talk to you exactly. about that. What are your, uh, what so, are your thoughts on that, obviously? It's, I mean, it's just things. wild, but the video is so helpful in right. terms of, like, number one, identifying and running down somebody who's leaving the scene. And then number two, really, and this is where I was getting with, with you mm-hmm. want an advocate in your corner. If you are the victim and the person across from you or adverse to you is being cited, a lot of times the municipalities, the prosecutors just don't have the resources to know what charges should be handed down. And so like yeah, okay. we have this anti-harassment statute that makes it a criminal charge, not a very high one, but it's still a criminal charge. Um, if you are gonna harass somebody, maliciously taunt them while they're on a bicycle. And the whole reason behind that is you're much more vulnerable while you're on your bike yeah. than if you're in an enclosed vehicle. Right. And so there should yeah. be a little bit of respect for that. Well, people um, never break that law, do they, Charlie? <laughs> I mean, it's sad. Well, and then and then also look at the statistic of, especially locally, about one in four bicycle on car or motor vehicle crashes is a hit and run. Yeah. So it's yeah. just crazy. Just, you know, you're already kind of vulnerable. Then you're being tagged by some car. And the last thing you really have the capacity to do is, you know, try and remember what the license plate might be or in description of the car. Right. So, um, so anyways, just for, for all those reasons, with Rebecca's case, the driver was ultimately found due to the video and it going on the news and people calling in. Um, NOPD went out and arrested him. You know, great hit and run. Uh, Rebecca is lucky to be alive. And so we started following that charge just through the courts and, and where's it gonna go? Is it gonna end up in state court? Would it be more municipal court? Or would it be more the lowest rung, which is traffic court? And mm. so we couldn't find it anywhere. Um, and finally, like I did some digging in traffic court and it was pretty much buried, almost forgotten about. Wow. Um, I, I went and talked to one of the city attorneys who was prosecuting it. Um, couldn't have been less interested. And to me, it was just amazing that, like, I mean, an almost fatality, if you watch yeah. this video, just had really no importance. Um, and so, you know, we're there to make sure that those cases aren't forgotten about either. Um, just, it's very important to us that, especially if you're leaving the scene, that that's catching up with somebody not just you know for the initial arrest and charge, but you know following it throughout the um, the criminal system. So Charlie, you were also really helpful um, to the cycling club when uh, when our friend Chris Weiss was shot uh, on a club ride a few weeks back. Different situation than a vehicle on cyclist 
uh, injury, but uh, same result, cyclist injured, uh, city, municipality, law enforcement, uh, not necessarily giving it the attention it deserves, and uh, we came to you for some advice about how to handle it and who to talk to, and that led to a petition and the media getting involved, and, you know, the the jury's still out on what the result of that will be. Nobody's been caught and prosecuted, but at least it got some attention, and we were able to sort of push that issue forward in a way that we might not have been if we hadn't had an advocate doing that with us or for us. Well, and I'll say, Townsend, you make a good point, too, with um, it's amazing how that story went worldwide. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I saw Sky News pick that up, uh, it was very telling, especially when compared with the lack of any sort of local police interest. And right. so I just thought, like, the lesson learned is here we have a story that's, you know, I think some Australian outlets picked it up. It was definitely overseas and across the U.S. But it was, you know, we we're having just so much trouble getting an OPD, and I know that they are understaffed and, and you know, especially out in, in the district where the East is, um, I feel like NOLA.com is pushing shift F7, you know, every couple of days, which is just like somebody's shot in the face, no suspect identified, no motive identified. So, uh, again, it's almost like things could have been much worse for Chris, the way that the, the particle lodged between uh, some major organs and his spine had it gone a centimeter or two one way or another. Things could have been very differently. Uh, but at the same time, he's up, he's walking around, he's a little sore. And, um, you know, because he's not paralyzed or having some severe kidney issue, uh, I feel like the ends aren't really going to justify the means to find out what happened and how it could be prevented. So frustrating, but at the same time, again, you know, the further lesson learned is we have to step up and represent ourselves and, and do what we can to either call attention to it or try and prevent it from happening. You mentioned video earlier. I really think it was the video that drove that story worldwide because there was this uh, video that shot by our friend Reed Case, uh, who was riding directly behind Chris. And you mentioned it in the case involving the young lady that you represented and then in the the Natchez Trace mm-hmm. uh, case that we just saw a couple days back in, in Tennessee. What are your thoughts about how video and the prevalence of uh, cameras on bicycles and cameras in general are going to help you start pushing bike advocacy forward in a way that it hasn't been pushed forward in the past because we just weren't capturing these incidents on video? I think it's huge, and there are a couple of considerations. Uh, number one, uh, I love videos. I love watching the riding videos. I think it was our, our own Aaron Viles um, and maybe Nate that were they were starting to use their GoPros a couple of years ago. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Nate did some, yeah, Nate 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 shot did, some yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. And so I remember, I think Nate was hooked up with like, you could see the speed and like yeah. a couple of other stats all at the same time. It interfaced time. with his Garmin in a way that allowed yeah. you to see all that. It was so cool. And so I liked it just from that perspective. Um, and if it happened to pick up something that could be useful later on, you know, even yeah. even better. Um, the problem that I had, and I, I love my GoPro, is you're always charging batteries. I think you're trying to clear memory cards. When are you supposed to have it on? If I'm at a boring section of the ride, you know, should it be off? And so it became so high maintenance just to record and keep video, not to mention the video files are huge, mm-hmm. right. um, that, that it was just kind of hard to handle for somebody who's not overly savvy with like digital media. And so Reed was riding with the, am I saying it right, Cyclique? Cyclique or Cyclique, Cyclique? yeah. 
And um, I understand that these are much easier to use. Just you plug a USB cord directly into the light. You're not removing batteries and putting them on their own charger. Right. And I think there are certain ways to program um, when the video is rolling, or you can hit a button and it'll make sure to save a certain part of the video. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it basically all basically kind of, it's like, a, it's almost like caching, right? It'll like caches so much of it. And then once it's got to the end, it'll like over, over it continuous records. Yeah. And then like what, what Reed did in that instance is he hit a button. So it like saves, it locks it'll, the last yeah, five minutes or whatever you set up. That's so right. you, so if you're riding along and your club mate gets shot, and you have to send the piece that sends a mind to like hit the button. You've got the footage, and doesn't it get like recorded over as you ride home? Yeah. So, right. Yeah, that's a super advantage to these sort of incidents. And, um, and yeah, you know, the GoPros are wonderful, but I think the Cyclic is just going to make it so much more like plug and play, user friendly. Yeah. That a lot more people can ride it, and the price point's not crazy from from what I've seen. So I think um, you know another consideration to look at too is. If I know that I have rolling footage all the time, I'm probably going to ride a little bit more responsibly as well. Um, you know, whatever that means yeah, to an in, to an yeah. individual. Mm-hmm. But it's just you know, if you are recording and you're knowing you're being watched, even if it's just going to be replayed at some other time, possibly, um, I think it just makes you a lot more conscious of how you're riding as somebody on a bike. Um, but Townsend, to the point you're making, absolutely, it's a game changer mm-hmm. uh, for the future of riding and capturing incidents. Um, and reducing the amount of a, a he said he said uh, story um, discrepancy. Yeah, and as the as the price point, as you mentioned, continues to come down, and the user interface and the ease of use with these cameras becomes easier and easier, and they start to become more a part of our everyday life as cyclists. Uh, just like cell phones used to be cumbersome, and not everybody had one. Now everybody's got one, and and and. Uh, it's expected that you have a phone at some point in the probably not too distant future. Uh, everybody's going to have cameras on their bike. Right, yep. right. So that'll uh, probably make your job easier. Um, well, we'll know uh, which side of the story was right much earlier on. So it, has there been anything with Chris Weiss, any sort of re- resolution or any sort of update? I mean, the last I saw, which was crazy, was that NOPD had put out a video about the difference between air rifles and a regular rifle and mentioned that someone had been shot in the east, but it was by an air rifle. It was a really, I was confused by this video, what their actual point was. I didn't see that. It seemed to be an odd sort of cover your ass video that this was an air rifle and so it was not as serious oh so that's as a why gunshot. they didn't, that's why they didn't so, do it yeah. so you know now don't. From a, is that from a legal point of view is there a difference if somebody was shot with a um a pellet rather than a round from a small caliber pistol for example i'm going to defer to my criminal attorney in the room townsend <laughs> it could be only in the sense that a crime could potentially be more severe 
if it were a crime that was committed with a firearm, and I'm not sure that an air rifle meets the, de the definition of a firearm. I think you're right. However, it would still be a dangerous weapon, which would be the thing that would make it an aggravated battery or even an attempted murder. Right. So uh, there are other penalties that might accrue to someone who committed a crime with an actual rifle versus an air rifle, but the underlying crime against the individual would be the same no matter which was used. So like okay. if it was a felon with a firearm. That's right. You could be potentially up for 10 years, right? That's right. Or discharging a firearm or uh, an aggravated battery with a firearm could be, you know, it could enhance it. But, right. Um, so there was really much ado about nothing in terms of this whole idea of was it a was it a bullet was it an air rifle pellet same difference in the end you know Chris was almost paralyzed somebody pointed a weapon at him and shot it and that's really all that mattered and it was just a shame that that NOPD spent so much time trying to uh, dance around the issue of firearm or rifle versus air rifle, and including this kind of very odd video that you described, Bodie. Very strange. Yeah. Well, Charlie, let's move on real quick because I wanted to, you know, ask you a few questions, and I don't want to have you put you in the position of telling us as cyclists that we should break the law, but I feel like there are times where you can follow the law and still be a dick and you can break the law and not be a dick can we talk about that for a minute please <laughs> <laughs> i like charlie's smile <laughs> so i'll give you an example of uh two situations both of which would be breaking the law i think technically and you can tell me if i'm wrong uh guy comes up to a stoplight on a bike the light is red uh, he doesn't slow down or slows down very little, blows through the light, directly in front of oncoming traffic, narrowly missing traffic that's crossing with the green. Um, that cyclist has run the red light. Clearly that would be illegal. And I would argue that's also a dick move. Everybody agree with that? Yeah. We're on the sure. same page. Just Sounds comes like straight, blows straight through the light. Yep. I saw this today. Literally at the same intersection, at virtually the same time, I saw a guy come up to the light on sort of a sweet city kind of mountain bike, hit, stop at the light, actually do a pretty sweet like 15 second track stand at the light as he peered to make sure the intersection was clear and then proceed through the red light. Oh, that was me. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> uh, both of these guys... You got a new stump jumper? Yeah. <laughs> sweet. Both of these guys ran the light, right? One of those guys, I would say, has both run the light and been a dick. The second guy, I would say, has run the light. Technically, he's broken the law. But in my book, in the book of T-Bone, I don't think the second guy did anything wrong. I understand from a legal perspective. He's run the light. He could be ticketed, etc. But give me your thoughts on that. Well, before before uh, Charlie hits it, isn't it in some places you are actually legally allowed to do that with a bicycle? You can actually... It's called an Idaho, Idaho stop. stop. An yeah. Idaho stop. Okay. 
Uh, Presumably that's legal in Idaho. No, Utah. Yeah. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a my, my, 90s joke. So, yeah, and my feeling on it is, yes, I've done that lots of times. And my feeling on it is, is I'm safer, if, it's, if it looks clear everywhere, I'm safer getting out of that intersection mm-hmm. than hanging around being on a bicycle. Because I've seen what happens with people getting right hooked and stuff, with people just like blowing through. I mean, there, I saw a car yesterday blow through... Not just a single intersection, but a giant intersection. You know, like a, a big one of um, Elysian Fields and uh, and uh, and Claiborne. Yeah, you know, just bl- blew through major. all the lights. Mm-hmm. That's a big intersection, and just through the whole thing. And there's a lot of traffic there. It's crazy, absolutely right. crazy, right? Right. So, in this town, I want to get out of that intersection as soon as possible. That's totally fair, and this is a great talking point. Um, I'll tell you how I see it. And then I'll tell you how the police see it in my perspective, and uh, and we'll we'll talk about it from there. Uh, Townsend, I agree with you in terms of the second guy. You know, he's doing the responsible thing, and if he can look and see that nothing's coming, and he wants to proceed, you know, there's probably very little chance he's going to get pulled over, and that's the biggest thing he has to worry about aside from getting hit by oncoming traffic or sidecoming traffic. Um, the first guy, uh, I feel like we'll get calls from every once in a while. And they might say, well, here's what I was doing, and I barely even tapped my brakes. I went through the center section, and I got hit. Can you help me? And my question is, like, help you, like, defend against, like, the running the red light ticket you got? Or, or you know, what are you looking for here? And, um, and I, I think people are, are somehow, I really don't understand this, kind of ignorant of the laws or maybe that the red lights apply to people on bikes, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with Bike Easy and a lot of the bike advocacy groups, uh, our main our main point to a lot of people who are riding, especially newbies, is that bikes are vehicles. Yeah. You know, the same laws, you know, on the books do apply to you. Right. Um, there are a couple of exceptions with that. Uh, and, and largely, um, if you are going to break the traffic rules, it's going to go unenforced. I mean, if NOPD can't follow up on Chris getting shot near the spine, you know, they're really not pulling over a bicyclist. We've talked with the head of NOPD traffic about this. And kind of asked him, what do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Okay. It discredits us as a group of people who ride, especially if you're riding somewhat responsibly, to have the first person just blowing through lights. In Townsend, you know, our office is right at Poydras. We we will look down, and I'll just see like people salmoning all the time down yep. the middle lane of Poydras. Uh, yeah, they're going against traffic. They're running through red lights. I think it's a, a small minority of people who ride that do it so blatantly. Um, but at the same time, it's a very it's a very visible presence of people. Yeah, um, and it, it gets it gets motorists aligned against us pretty solidly it, as responsible cyclists. Totally. For instance, the second guy that 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 comes to the light in this in my example, who does I think the responsible thing, stops, checks the intersection, makes sure that nothing's coming, and then goes. You know, when I do that on my bike, occasionally I'll have a car pull up next to me. Oh, buddy, you think the rules don't apply to you? Oh, right. And, you know, just you know, yeah. and you just don't even know what to say to that. To sort of like, you know, why is that? You know, why is that so upsetting to you? And I think the reason it's so upsetting to people is because they've seen the first guy right. so many you're, times. You're absolutely right. And like to Matt's point, if you're going to 
go through the light and kind of get out of the way, well, that's probably traffic just flowing a little bit better than everybody at the same time is starting, going across the intersection. There are cars possibly parked on both sides of the street if it's a one-way or at least on your side of the street if, if it's a two-way. You're getting sandwiched between the line of cars that's parked versus right. the, the moving travel lane. And you could have, if you left 20 seconds earlier, been ahead of the parked cars and a little bit more out of the way. Actually makes it and easier so for them. It would have calmed that whole traffic pattern. Yeah. Right. So talking with NOPD and asking <clears> them, you know, or do y'all have any plans to enforce even the most egregious violations? The response has pretty much been, we can go around all day, every day, and do nothing but pull over people who are riding bikes, breaking the rules. Here's what's going to happen. Most of them are probably somewhere around the poverty line with, you know, the way we patrol and you know, they might be out at 10 in the morning. We could jack them up, you know, whether it's they've got an open container and they shouldn't or, um, you know, they're disturbing the peace somehow, just, you know, with any of those citations. But even if we just want to give them a riding against traffic uh, or blowing through a stop sign or a stoplight citation, here's what's going to happen. We're going to write them a ticket. They're going to miss their court date. There's going to be a bench warrant that goes out for their arrest. The next time we pull them over, we're going to have to arrest them and take them in. What are we going to do with their bike? Their bike's going to get stolen or lost. You know, then they're coming out in a much worse place. And so it's kind of this defeatist but also a sympathetic viewpoint that NOPD traffic seems to have, which is, you know, why are we even going to do that? It's going to leave this person in a much worse position than if we just leave them alone. So they've taken this, this somewhat hands-off approach. Wow, I'm what, shocked to hear that. What about a which, warning, though? I think that's a good thing. And I and I, I'm, that's kind of cool, and I think what I think what that does is it means that the advocacy side, uh, the educational side, needs to step up to to let to keep putting out that message like, hey, don't ride the wrong way, you know, let's not run red lights or like, let's sort of bring down some of those ways right to keep you safe right and to keep everybody else safe so there, there's a lot of misinformation yeah. out on the streets about you know which way you're supposed to ride right yeah people the, have for generations been taught ride against traffic that way you can see the car that's coming that's going to hit you the four yeah. eyes are better right? than two right so right um, well, of course we've addressed the physics of that with my oh, uh, no. physics <laughs> lesson last week oh yeah or last yeah, yeah several physics months. do you want to bring the charts out again yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. all right charlie uh, tell some math follow up on that point please, one last thing and then i have another question for you and here's where this like stabs me so hard so when you've got the first guy that's just acting like a total jerk, it really becomes like a biker versus a non-biker issue. Right. And the biker is the total jerk, and you know, just real, real easy to, to not like this public enemy number one, who seems to not care. And so, you know, bicyclists by our breed are kind of different people, and we're somewhat nonconformists, um, which is really cool, and that's why I think we have so many people in this discipline. But at the same time, I think it's very, very easy for a certain subset of the biking population to basically say, I don't care what the rules are. Like I'm right. doing it my way. And so, you know, that that's, you know, it's hard to control. Where it hits hard is when you go into a courtroom and you're trying to pick a jury for somebody who is doing everything right. They have gotten rear-ended. Somebody else may have run the red light and hit them, but you're going through asking the potential jurors on the panel, what do you think of people who ride? Who's seen somebody who's ridden dangerously? Huh. Do you have some bias against them? It's basically all the hands that are up. Because yeah. everybody has had that example 
of somebody, whether it's a delivery person or just somebody who doesn't care, riding so dangerously through many lanes of traffic, and that's what stands out in their minds. So, so yeah. you know, we're all kind of hurting ourselves to think like we can do that and it doesn't have consequences because by the time even you're going through the civil justice system, you know, we're, we're trying to cause people out of, of their jury service because they're so biased, they're not even coming back around to give this person a fair shake. I mean, look, Charlie, I've ridden my bike almost every day for 10 plus years. And I hate guy number one. You know, I don't like him. That's, and so imagine the way people that don't ride bikes that are sitting around in, yeah. in metal boxes all day long with in their traffic, air conditioning on yeah. in traffic. Imagine the way they feel about that guy. They're, right, there's such a disconnect from their understanding of and, each other. And as other. a guy who cares, you know, that rides with a group of guys that care for the most part, you know, I want to get the message through that guy. And I want to say, you know, bro, you're kind of fucking this all up for the rest of us. So it, it dings, chill, track it, stand, right, and look like this dude, number two. It totally discredits the bicycle's, um, I'll say, I'll call it even prestige and right to be on the road as a vehicle. Right. Well, I think it's interesting as well, looking at it uh, from... You know, like you look at a country like, okay, the Netherlands or Denmark, where they have this, you know, idyllic cycling culture, right? Where it, people, probably more people commute on, on a bike than they do in a car. And it's, they have all the infrastructure, there's bike lanes everywhere, and there's a culture of it. Um, but then you get somewhere like Britain, where it's kind of some, you know, there's a massive cycling renaissance going on in Britain right now, obviously, you know, with the Olympic success and... The Tour de France and everything What's that like guy's that. name? Oh, yeah, here we uh, go. What's his here name? Here we Jeff go. Uh, Froome, Dave Froome. Yeah. Anyway, so... Bradley this, Duggins. Dan Martin. All, <laughs> so there's, you know, there's all that excitement, but there's still, you know, I look at the road.cc website every day, you know, and there's every day there's something of, you know, uh, a big, big rig driver, you know, almost hitting somebody. There's all these, there's very small roads and there's very large vehicles in a big hurry to get somewhere, and there's all these, you know, not, not just near misses, but fake fatalities. You there know? are so many fatalities in the UK. Yeah. Probably because there's so many cyclists out there, as well as it still doesn't have quite, it doesn't have, the culture isn't really there like it is in the Netherlands, Neither and it doesn't have the infrastructure. The infrastructure's missing too. Yeah. Let exactly. me ask you, Charlie, is the UK beating the US in that? Ooh, I, I haven't tracked the statistics um, that closely. Because we've got a little, follow, in, we got a little inside U.S. versus U.K. competition going on here, so I'm just, you know, sort of wondering <laughs> who's winning that one. Well, the U.S. is winning in terms of infrastructure, but in terms of like incidents and fatalities, I've got my cycling weekly um, yeah. Apple News feed that comes through to my phone, and I feel like it's it's there's always fatalities that they're talking about, and they mainly involve large road vehicles, yeah. and you know some tight streets, um, and so I don't know if it's sight lines or you know traffic situations or whatever it is, but. They have their own problem. Um, what I like, and for the first time, I think we're really seeing this is, is you know, the bigger picture of people who ride. We're seeing former pros who are coming out as advocates and trying to, to get the message across to ride more safely. And obviously, that's good for everybody, but especially if you've got... That's what got, we're trying to do on this podcast. Yeah. Well, they, they, that y'all, y'all former are, pros until so you, it's basically until you blew my cover, Charlie. Y'all I mean, on I this side of the pond, pro. and Chris Boardman in the UK. Yeah, so yeah. We're, we're hitting it from both sides. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's great. Um, but like you know, thinking back, uh, I think my parents were crazy 
especially in the mid 90s to let me go off in New Orleans before there's you know the thought of a bike lane anywhere and as a 13 14 year old just go ride across the city on my road bike you know pretty much drafting cars because that's the only place you could go on the roads yeah um and hoping I made it back alive and more often than not you know it was incident free but there were some really close calls and yeah. um I, I remember some very sticky situations and you know especially uh I think riding around one day during the summer, this was probably in like 1996, I think I maybe saw one other person downtown on their bicycle. So compared to today, yeah. and you know, that's the product of an, an investment in infrastructure and education. And um, I feel like post Katrina, just all sorts of people from the East Coast and the West Coast and the Midwest right. moving down here. And they're used to riding where they're from and they brought it here. And, and they brought their bike lanes with them. Yes, which, which has caused its own pushback. But Well, I think... A couple of things. I think that in New Orleans, there there seemed to be a lot of people riding bikes here. And it before, I guess maybe it was more. It was like people commuting to the French Quarter to work and stuff. So it was a, an easy way of transportation. Um, so I also wanted to sort of sort of the the next step in this is you know what can we do as cyclists? Um, how do we how do we better protect ourselves and everybody else? And I was at a meeting with that you were at recently, um, and there's a big, uh, there's a couple things. There's a big like bike walk thing coming to town. Right. I forgot. I don't know. And then also people bikes places. Yes. When is that? It's going to be September of 2018. And what is that exactly? It's about a 1,500 person conference for planners and uh, people who are are MPOs. Um, and advocates to come together. It's every two years, um, and really discuss the latest and greatest in you know intersection design and, and setting up roadways um, so that they're better to include kind of a complete streets component. Let's design a roadway not just for a car, but mm-hmm. for you know anybody who's you know pedestrians, anybody who's on their bike, um, and pretty much the way that cities should be designed if we're going to have multimodal transportation and a safe environment for everybody who's around a roadway. Is that something that people like us, like you know, club riders, can come and attend to, or is it like, is it for planners and? It's it's probably going to be a somewhat technical discussion yeah. and all that. I mean, you might find it interesting. I think what what somebody you know, like like we as club riders could do, um, is kind of help with the host committee, which is the committee that Bike Easy is really leading to make okay. sure that when people are coming to town, they're having a good time and, and they're seeing the best that our city has to offer. Take so, them on some bike rides. Ex- yeah. Take them on a All bike right. ride, have a, you know, a coffee at Relay, yeah. you know, just things like that. And so as we get closer, there will be more opportunities to volunteer. Everybody who's coming in, uh, I don't know if y'all know like Jennifer Rooley, yep. um, uh-huh. but you know, like that type of caliber of people who care, they've dedicated their, their careers to this. Um, so all interesting on their own for the most part, just to talk to, and it's going to be cool that they're all here and that um, New Orleans was the winner of, of you know that that, that is cool that right. winning winning winning. Wait, so and let's let's continue on uh, the legis not legislation. What is pr- being proposed to City Council? Can you give me a little background on yeah, that? sure. And what's happening? So the meeting that Bodie and I were at a couple of weeks ago is the New Orleans. It's basically the Pedestrian and Bicycle Safety Advisory Committee. Um, all these different groups, yeah. the acronyms, the, <laughs> all, You're all, the, busy man, all the words. Um, so this is a committee that was formed for about two years um, on, on the motion of Councilman Jared Brissett. 
Um, it was basically, hey, the city council is hearing everybody saying that there are too many biking fatalities and incidents. We're happy to step up. Tell us what we need to do. Give us some options. We're not planners on our own. We're not advocates. So give us a little bit of clear direction and we'll see what we can do. So this committee was put together. Um, again, it lasted two years. And what, what it did was seek public input. And with all the committee members who possessed a lot of their own knowledge about how to make streets safer, basically came up with a plan for recommending to the city council, here's what we'd like you to do. So that's going to be more bike lanes. That's going to be an educational component with people who are riding and people who are driving um, and a, a bunch of different, you know, you know, go, go all the way down through that. It's, it's pretty cool stuff. I, I, right. Yeah, it's good stuff. And so one of the, the keys to, you know, getting New Orleans on the right track with that too was let's update our bike code. So we've got our state laws. They're passed in the legislature in Baton Rouge and then the city of New Orleans through the city council has passed ordinances from its inception. And there's a part that really deals with, with biking. Um, there's also traffic laws. Like if you run a red light, you can get cited with either a state revised statute 32 citation, or you can get an, a city of New Orleans ordinance violation. And so there's not much of a difference there. The fines are different. I think where the money goes is different. That's a very interesting thing to follow if you ever have free time. Um, <laughs> Just because, you know, NOPD is going to pull you over, they're going to write you up under the state violation or the um, local violation. Well, if state troopers are posted up here, you know, for some enforcement, yeah. where are they mm-hmm. going to do? So anyways, um, but the, the, the key was that the state laws were not in sync with the local laws. And the local laws provided far fewer protections. So last year, at the state level, we were trying to pass the Vulnerable Road User Bill. It's basically like a heightened traffic ticket, like a speeding ticket almost. If you're in a motor vehicle and you hit somebody who's more vulnerable than you are, they're on a motorcycle, they're a pedestrian, it's a police officer who's on the side of the highway helping with a stalled vehicle, yeah. or you're on your bike, and really aim by in those categories, there's going to be a, a, you know, a, up to a $500 fine or a $1,000 fine. Um, we tried to water that down so it wasn't even as toothy as it is in some other states. So the, by the time the final bill was being considered in Baton Rouge, it was, hey, the, the judge can award up to $500, mm-hmm. but the judge doesn't have to award anything. Mm-hmm. It, it really is purely discretionary, but yeah. that was at least the first step. And so that bill was scuttled, uh, and, and you know, you can read more about that in articles that we've all seen by Representative Kenny Havard yes, out, oh of, my God. out of San Francisville. Um, I forgot about him. And so, uh, so anyways... What we've done at the very local level with this committee is, hey, what's stopping the city of New Orleans from passing its own vulnerable road user bill? Right. Typically, New Orleans, I think, you know, by most people's accounts, is, is one of the more progressive cities in the entire state. Mm-hmm. So I agree. this is perfect. Yeah. And so right now, the recommendation is being made, let's pass a local vulnerable road user bill. Okay. Um, and see if it'll pass. Now, of course, nothing matters unless it's actually used after it's passed. Right. So there's a lot of focus on that. But that, that may have been a really long answer, Bodhi, to your question no, so, of no, what, what's going on. No, I think it's good on. to get that background um, and to understand how that that sort of you can build a precedent upon having that. And, I mean, is this something that, like, the, the club, should we need to come out to city council and, and sort of voice our support and be there? Like, is that... That, that help? That would be awesome. Yeah. I think it's very important for the city council members to see like bodies in the room. Yeah, okay. Um, 
And then, you know, I keep saying this, but Bike Easy is just at the front lines of this every day. Yeah. And so you're asking me before we started recording, where was I? We're at my office for our Bike Easy, you know, hour and a half Monday night meeting for the development committee, talking about all sorts of stuff like this. We've got an advocacy group that's dedicated just to trying to make the streets safer for people who ride. results and I pulled up I believe 1999 was you were the junior crit Lambert crit champion that sounds that sounds right yeah it was, you were I think the, I have a medal somewhere yeah there was three of you that's the Louisiana and Mississippi bicycle racing association yeah, for yeah. our new listeners on our, iTunes that's right we might have new listeners so yeah Lambra that's our that's our local association with USAC and Charlie was a criterium champion in 1999 and if you'll allow me to yeah. um i was also the cyclocross state champion in maybe 1997 what? and i think i was the time trial state champion perhaps the road race state champion in the 98 99 time frame wow. too. i think the internet was around by then but the results might not be up there uh but but deep down in my parents closet uh in you know my room there um those medals still exist deep down in your secret trophy room <laughs> in your basement so not only do you play a bike lawyer on tv in real life you're actually a cyclist too well i pulled up this picture champion my, my sister sent me this uh so this is predating even my um oh, my racing days sweet it's a BMX picture there. i must have been uh, at least seven which there. which you on the which side that's this is me in the red the shirt that's my sister oh i'm sorry <laughs> we're, we're gonna lips. we're gonna post that one on the website and people that's are gonna great. wonder why you were trying to guess <laughs> farther away. No, she I, had short hair, right? I don't know. Uh, it's pulled back. Okay. All right. There you go. Uh, she's much prettier than I am, so. Yeah. We, don't don't hold that over her head. But <laughs> you're mixing us up. Oh, man, I grew up here. I love riding my bike just from the youngest age. I remember I was probably four or five, and it was my first bike, you know, after the big wheel. Uh, this was my cousin Bridget's, like, red, like, total girl's bike. I didn't know what the step-through frame was, but that's what it was with training wheels and streamers coming out like both sides of the handlebars. And like, I was just so excited that I had one to ride and I'd ride it all over the neighborhood. Um, and then one day, I think I had a discussion with some guy like my age, you know, around the block. And he was basically calling me out for having the streamers. Uh -oh. um, and so I made the decision to go home and I got some Took the scissors to him. Yep. And I, I didn't know how my dad was going to feel about it. I was kind of concerned. Um, you know, just like you're altering your bike like that and just, you know, shaving all that flare off. Um, and so narrow. My, narrow my, my dad my dad was fine uh, and he supported the decision um, so after that it was really my bike until I think I got the blue bike in this picture but um, I just love riding my bike from like the youngest age and I, I took to it and um, you know I think uh, probably around when I was 12 or 13 um, I just kind of came into my own I'd start riding at the lakefront more and I was having a hard time keeping up with some of these other guys like while I was on my Trek 820, um, and you know they were on road bikes, so I saved up all summer. I was just cutting grass like a madman. I had my little mm. like around, you know, the four blocks around my house yeah. business. Yep. Handed out flyers, would you know couldn't drive, just like would like push my lawnmower around, and um, and I bought a Greg LeMond like this bright orange road bike with Campagnolo. Cool. Uh, Ooh, this probably would have been like 1997. Um, 
it was like $800, which felt like a million and a half dollars. Yeah. And where's that um, bike now? Uh, I, I don't know where that bike is now. So if anybody's listening... That'd be a and sweet, you have it. Be a sweet ride to parade around. It would um, look good with your, uh, you know, with your various other bicycles that are that we all know are part of your collection. You've got a pretty stout. You well, do I, I, of bicycles. I, I'll say this, Townsend. The bike that's been with me the longest is the one that came right after that and alongside it, the same like burnt orange color. It's my Voodoo Cross bike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I love. It's really my commuter now, but it was the prototype cyclocross bike the Voodoo built. And they had a guy out of Tennessee named Tom Teasdale, master frame builder, who put it together. I think they called him and they said, you know, we want to try this, this newfangled thing of cyclocross. Yeah. Can we put a bike together for us? So we built it, 853 Reynolds, and it's just beautiful. Um, somehow it ended up at Bayou Bicycles with Charlie Dorr, um, a big voodoo dealer at the time, and I think mm-hmm. it fit him. And mm-hmm. Charlie really wasn't using it at all. So it was just gathering dust, and I wanted to try my hand at cyclocross racing, so he kind of lent it to me, and then... A few races in, as I was scratching it up, I went to him like, "I just need to buy this from you. Yeah. Like, let's work out a deal." And I think I paid him over a series of months. Um, but I've had that bike now for 20 years, and I love it so much. So, yeah, there's something just about the, the old bikes that you are able to keep. But the Le Mans got away. Well, quick question though Wait. about the about the Voodoo and cyclocross. Where where more. was the 1997 yeah, cyclocross where, championships? I want to know where this stuff. Yeah, talk Hi, about Highland Park. They were all in Highland Park in Baton Rouge. Okay. Ah, wait, okay. wait. Which one is Highland Park? That's it's, where we had the first Baton Rouge race. Yeah, that's the frisbee golf place. Yeah, there's frisbee. Exactly. Yeah. So well, back in 2013, the very first Baton Rouge race was at Highland Park. Yes. That was an awesome venue. Okay, that was so a great, great it's course. There. Some elevation changes, yeah. Yeah. and you almost don't feel like you're that in Louisiana. Creek that runs through exactly. So, um, so how many people were racing cross in New Orleans area in '97? It, it was like a unicorn of a sport. Yeah, there was just not much going on. Um, but a lot of people who who you see out there now, like you know Rusty and Roseanne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were out there. Um, was and, Randy out there on his Pennine? Randy was probably, <laughs> I think Randy was officiating, but um, I, I don't think Randy was much into racing cross. You know, we think that, uh, you know, Delta State started the cross thing in New Orleans, but, you know, I, it, had, it didn't. And I remember, I remember when I started helping West with Delta States in 2013, at least man, I made a few promo videos, I was very careful in my wording because I realized that cross had happened in new orleans beforehand it just it had been a while and maybe kind of gone into hibernation and so it's cool to hear about these old stories and um Matt, show you a picture yeah. from the infamous 1997 state championship oh cross race. all right so this is me wow. on the voodoo with um what appears to be some clear rudy projects uh i think i'd cut my leg or something which is why my shorts were rolled up i think that was like a full skin suit and then um let's see Here's another one, possibly post-race. Wow. Uh, nice, Yeah, you know, which Charlie. I love. You know, it's, it's the bike that I still have today. So we've had a, a long, a long That's career together. That's pretty great. Yeah, Charlie, um, send us these so we can get them up on the, uh, get them yeah, up on the site. This is good stuff, man. But it, as you can tell, it's definitely a cross race in Louisiana, yeah. especially a state championship one because we're not wearing any cold-weather gear. No. So is that an NOBC kit? That was the NBC kit, exactly. Those are uh, those are kind of cool colors. Kind of Houston Astros looking. Yeah, I like it. I'm kind of like, that could be that could be a throwback <laughs> of Randy or uh, I guess Patrick is the president of NBC. Uh, maybe you guys should do a little throwback. Yeah, I like that a lot.
Talk about uh, yeah. There's Tour a de France lot for a minute. of stuff that's been going on. Um, Did something happen? In the, anything happen this week? You know, it was I kind saw, of a kind of a sleeper yeah, of a week. Yeah, you know, really, someone, but... I saw someone on Facebook said that this year was pretty boring, <laughs> and I wanted to be like, what tour <laughs> what on what planet? So oh, are somebody you said watching? that seriously. Yeah, they that the the thing that brought them into it was Josh Van Emden's tweet about uh, Buhani or something or Damar or something calling him a dick or something like that and he's like oh now the tour got exciting and i'm like now did you well, not yeah, see he did him? he did call uh, he called damar a dick let's yeah. let's put it this way when we last convened in mm. the law library uh yes. garrett thomas was uh wearing Meaning. the yellow jersey yep yep uh peter sagan was in the green jersey not yet but he was on his way on his way sorry he, he was in the race that's it he was in the race uh <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> matt and i matt and i had both predicted a win oh. for mark cavendish yeah oh. uh, on uh tuesday's stage yeah uh richie port was still a contender for uh gc yep and uh gosh what else there were uh, two sagans in F- the race there were two sagans <laughs> in the race fdj had two more, more than, than there are now fdj yeah. had uh more than five riders uh yep. left in the in the tour mm-hmm. uh, I, so per- personally i had no idea who um uh lillian uh call me john was yeah call me jane little little calm jean <laughs> yeah so call yeah john. by now everybody knows and we don't have to do much more than just mention it um Obviously, the day after our podcast, uh, where Matt and I predicted a big win for Cav, yes, um, and and I was uh, hoping, and for, he would have won that stage, yeah, I'm sure. sure. Yeah, it was it was it was well on his way. I had the inside track. Yeah, he certainly did, didn't he? He was going to be the first one to the barriers. <laughs> yeah, he won that. Uh, so uh, Sagan and Cav uh, both uh, take themselves out of the race. Uh, well, well, no. Cav took. Both of them out of the race. Cab took both of them out of the race. Cab, okay, well, we, I, we did, didn't want to get into this argument. I, well, but. I'm gonna, Cab did what Cab does. He rides crazily aggressively. He puts his head on other people's bodies, and yep. he crashes himself and other people out. Right. He crashed, I remember, Tom Veeler's, uh, who, I don't know, I, we can't go into but like even last year, I think he crashed someone out, or he headbutted. Anyway. Well, it took the race officials to get Sagan out of the race. Cav couldn't crash him out. He crashed himself out, but he couldn't crash Sags out. True. Okay. Um, it took the race yeah. officials to do that. But suffice to say that we've spent a week without Cav and Sagan in the tour, and, you know... And it's still <laughs> been ridiculous. It has been ridiculous, but it's a, it's a shame they're out of the race. I'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, both of them were on my fantasy squad, so if I had a shit fantasy squad last Monday, that's true. You I, had a shit fantasy squad. Last I did. Monday. I already had a shit fantasy squad. Lost. Now I just no. literally like Wait, you know. How many players do you have? You are the FDJ of fantasy <laughs> squads right now, aren't you? I have um, now five riders remaining on my. Squad. Are you last in our league? I'm in last place. 
Wait, so we should do a little quick check-in. Oh. Last week, who was gonna, who's, who's in yellow? A second version of who's in yellow. Well, Matt got to go first, so he made the obvious choice. Chris Froome, so he wins. He wins. I think I made the most daring choice and picked Roman Bardet, and I have to say... After stage nine, he, you know, sort of like half-back Pat to me yeah. for no, picking he, some... He's on the podium. He was close. He attacked. He was in the front. You know, the group caught back to him on stage nine. So that was a good choice to you. So kudos to you. I picked Gary Thomas. That's why he crashed out. That's right. I, I have that luck. Um, Thanks. I picked... You, you cursed him. I do. That's what I do. I curse GC riders. Um, so then then let's let's go over the competition of who is... But who is highest... Out of us? Amongst in, us. Who gets the who gets the sky jersey the this sky week? The sky jersey. And, and who gets the... Uh, well, I'm, I'm, the Mayo, uh, the Mayo, the Mayo Mad. Yeah, the Mayo <laughs> Mad, right. Yeah, that's me. I'm in the brown jersey again this week. Uh, certainly amongst us. I, I, I am in the I am in the brown jersey uh, for the entire league, not just yeah. our fetish mm-hmm. sub-league. And then, Matt, you're in second, which means that I am... You're leading. I'm leading. I'm actually on the podium in fantasy cycling, and I do not have Sagan. That's but right. I still have Froome and Cattell. Well, nobody, well, nobody has Sagan. Has Sagan. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Sorry. Sagan is right. on my squad. So, cue the ska music, Matt, as I ceremonially oh, then present thank you. Bodhi thank the you. This looks uh, good. black and white ska jersey. Uh, please give me two kisses. Yes. All right. Uh, well, sponsored I'm, by Two Tone Records. I've, I have a question. Yes. Uh, Richie Port's crash. Oh. You know, hard to watch. Number one, just yeah. as you're imagining, like, yeah. you know, a person with their bones, and their muscles, and their organs, and their skin just <laughs> slamming into that rock wall. Oh. But I could not tell. And full disclosure, I didn't listen to all the commentary. I could not tell what made him track left and off of the roadway. Did was it like so just throwing Martin, his weight wrong, or how did this? How did this happen? Dan Martin said he saw Port's rear wheel slide out on him mm. on that sort of wet, shady so, tarmac. Oversteer. Which caused him to veer left and go off the road into the grass. And once he hit the grass, it was, you know, cyclocross on, uh, on it was a yard road sale. bike. Oh, and yeah. yard sale, big time. Well, it, it was Tasmanian bowling. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he, he took out an Irish. Dan Martin was the pen. Yeah. yeah. And, he, he, and, and, and Iran was almost a pen too, yeah. but just got through by the skin of his teeth. Right? Do, do you know what I didn't realize until I listened to a post-race interview with Dan Martin? Dan uh, oh, was okay. on the ground for a minute, gets up, gets a neutral service wheel from the Mavic truck, which yep. apparently didn't work with his brakes, and he gets back on his bike and gets going and immediately crashes a second time when he's unable to brake going into the next corner yep. did you guys realize that i did know that and you know why because mavic wheels are too damn narrow yeah they're like they're they're, they're... oh he got a wheel he got, he a, got wheel, a neutral yeah. wheel from the mavic truck oh the... that's what... okay and then ended up confused. after his second crash getting a spare bike right. from his team car which had caught up to him by that point and still only lost a minute 15 finishing the with the second group yeah yeah, yeah. yeah was... he came in with quintana who'd been dropped he basically caught on with Quintana, didn't And he? probably came in with a concussion as well. I mean, it's hard yeah, to imagine. Uh, Matt, yeah. you made the point that his helmet looked a lot like your helmet it after did. that Rouge Roubaix crash. It did. You know when a helmet cracks in the back like that, that you've fallen hard and smacked your head backside? That's 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 the way you hurt your head, is yeah. hitting, it, hitting it that way. Well, I think, I think hitting your head anyway hurts. 
uh, sure. in, my, in, my, in my own uh, personal experience. Yeah. So I wanted to offer a fresh take to the Aru Froom scandal. Mm. Is this a fresh take sponsored by Subway Subs? <clears throat> this is a fresh take off uh, sponsored by Tim's Quality Auto Care. Oh, Tim's Quality Car Care. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Get a yeah fresh take on your car. Yeah. Sponsor shout out. That was pretty good. That was flawless. Yeah. Um. Way so, to work that in, Bodie. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess there's a lot of um, a lot of talking on the interwebs and on a podcast about the whole idea of, of attacking when the yellow jersey is in distress, whether or not you do it, was this a situation when or you don't, or you wait. I'll let the writers decide on that one, but the fact that Aru says he didn't see Froome's mechanical and he was just attacking As he was passing when he <laughs> literally rides underneath his arm <laughs> yeah. it's like bro just don't lie just say straight up i was attacking because he was weak and defenseless like admit to it like well, that actually make would make me more i thought they were reenacting the sagan cavendish thing because <laughs> like froom's elbow was basically in his face wasn't it well here's something else that's ridiculous froom says he didn't realize that aru attacked him i know i mean that's just, just it's all bullshit he, right the guy that's going underneath your arm and well you know what froom was more worried about his power meter did you guys see that once he got the new bike he was sitting there like tapping on his power meter <laughs> it's like come on just just go race there. Yeah. Better than running. I guess so. <laughs> so, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of chaos. But then, did you see a little bit later on? There's a moment where Froome almost takes a Rue off the road. I did see that. Yeah. yeah. And then that apparently quite by accident, of course. Uh, apparently. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by accident of an intentional elbow. But it's interesting, isn't it, that whole, like, politics, because Richie Port is the one who came up and they said, you know, hey, come on, you can't do that to my Froome dog. You yeah, that, I mean, that was, you feel bad for Richie for doing that, and then he crashes out. Right, because think about this, guys. That's what brings that big group back together, Richie Port calming it down and essentially waiting up for Froome. And the size of that group and then all on that together. narrow technical descent yeah. could have contributed to Port's accident. So maybe Richie spelled his own doom there by calming the group instead of letting it accordion out a little bit. Hmm. Well, interesting. How do we all feel about this? Now, and Charlie, I'd like—I really want to hear your in, your input on this. I've heard a few people saying some of the writers as well as like like Dan Martin said, "Well, the organizers got what they wanted," and. Is it a matter of that they knew that that was going to be a dis dangerous descent? They knew that it was dangerous. It had rained earlier on in the day. Are we are we getting to a point where it's, you know, crazy crash videos is is the thing that you know is appealing to people and that and they're actually kind of pandering to that. You know, it's it's such a a, a tough decision. Um, I would think from the organizer standpoint, who want to present, but every time. Stepping back, just for with what we're talking about, every time we're looking at like a stage profile and you're in the mountains, it, it seems fewer and fewer that we're having mountaintop finishes. There are mm -hmm. some, but it's fewer. It's now like there's the long descent and it's right at the bottom. Right. And to me, that just kind of screams like, is that necessary? Like at the end of a long day's ride where yeah. focus is critical yes. and people are going to be taking chances, is that worth it? Um, and, you know, I, I would typically 
tend to think that these guys all know what they're doing better than anybody else in the world. We're on 2017 racing technology between the tires and the brakes and you know the frames and just how they can take these corners. But when you have guys like Richie Porte who are still sliding out or you know Trent Thomas, it's it's you know they're still pushing it to the edge of the envelope, right? Um, and, and over and because they're racing, they're racing, they're yeah, racing. Yeah. So well, I've, I have very mixed feelings about it, just because the last thing you want to see is somebody like Richie Port go down that hard, yeah, and just right. get so torn up. Like nobody wants to see that. I do um, not. And 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 it's just it does seem like it's a little bit too dangerous in that way. But at the same time, you know the riders are pushing themselves so hard. Uh, I'm not sure that you would have too much of a different outcome, you know, with with any degree of a descent that's in that category. Right. So I don't know how much safer you can make it. Um, yeah, well, it's I a tough. Have, one. I have two thoughts on that. Quickly, regardless of what the race organizers do with where they set the finish, whether it's a mountaintop or at the end of a long descent, however narrow the road is, whatever the weather conditions, at the end of the day, it's ultimately up to the riders to ride that race and no matter what conditions course finish profile the organizers give the racers have the responsibility to ride it within the limits of safety and competitive racing so i think at the end of the day you can't ever blame the race organizers for something like that and i think you can blame the race organizers for an unsafe uh barrier situation or, or a you know a, a tricky run up to the to the finish or something like that but neglecting to account for when the train's coming <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah that's another one yeah. remember that one well there was a case in the giro um i think about three or four years ago where they had a descent uh and the riders were not happy about this descent being uh being in the race and they did actually take it out they took it out of there because they said it just wasn't safe enough there wasn't enough um you know, it's a, basically a sheer cliff drop off on one side, and the, it just was not safe enough. And know? then also, as racers, I think you can sort of, you know, have a bit of a uh, agreement to neutralize through certain sections if you if you need to. Um, the other thing, I'll, the other point that I will make is that cycling lately has gotten to be so much about the climbing and about power and the numbers and you know power to weight and getting up the hills and there's less of an emphasis on getting down them Mm -hmm. and back to the point of it being the rider's responsibility you know maybe these guys need to practice descending well as we learned on well as i learned most of my stuff from the cycling podcast uh apparently bmc Wreckied that descent four times, and they all they all wrote it in the uh, uh, Dauphiné. Yeah, so yeah, I guess I don't know. Yeah, it's it I it sucks to see the the big. I mean, it sucks for anybody to crash, but it sucks when the contenders. Like, I don't think that Port would have won the tour, but I would like to see him actually finish a three week Grand Tour. Or sorry, a Grand Tour. And maybe contend for the podium. It's sort of something that he's been, right. uh, you know, been sort of like built up to do for a while, and really has every time failed. So I was really wanting that to happen, and, and a little bit rooting for Port, even though he wasn't on my fantasy squad, and I have Froome. But you know, you want to see a bit of a challenge, and I know that Froome and Port are friends, so it's 
it's kind of fun when you see friends, you know, go against each other because, you know, that makes it a little more interesting. So, it sucks. I guess that's all I'm trying to say. It's, yeah. it's a bummer. It, it does suck. And, you know, larger macro point here to all of this. Sometimes, doesn't matter if you recon the thing four times. Yeah. Doesn't matter um, if you ride it safely and you have a sort of agreement among the guys not to uh, hammer and anything sometimes crashing is just part of racing yeah well it doesn't make the seabrook seem as scary anymore even on a windy day (laughs) (laughs) well guys we also wanted to just very quickly um talk about the uh, giro rosa that concluded today um and uh matt you had uh, a few thoughts just about uh, the podium and and the race and uh or at least able to give uh some well, I, results I, um yeah i mean briefly results wise i mean obviously the podium was anna van der Breggen, uh won it uh for uh bols dolmans elisa longo borghini was second for wiggle uh, wiggle high five and uh, third place was Annemiek van Vluten for Orica Scott who is the rider that crashed in the Olympics yes that horrific crash in, on the descent in the wet in the Olympics uh, and broke her back is that right broke her back yep and last uh, summer yeah yep and she's moved to Orica Scott now I think she was on the Rabo Live yes. team right. before uh, and so now she's the the uh, the main GC rider on Orica Scott and she and uh, one thing I wanted to say was, and I, I, I put, put this out on Facebook the other day because I really enjoy watching, I think, Orica do a great job with their backstage pass videos that mm-hmm. they do during the Grand Tours and also during the Classics. Um, but for the Giro Rosa, they were also doing them for their, oh, for their women's okay. team. Oh, check that out. Yeah, and it's, it's, what's really interesting is the huge disparity between... I mean, they do, they do great videos for both of them, but the big disparity between what a men's big tour team setup looks like yeah. and what a women's big tour team setup look like, because they're all in a tiny camper van, you know, it, they, they don't have the Death Star buses, they yeah. don't have, you know, these fancy setups, they've got, you know, one mechanic maybe for all of them that it's, you know, real bare bones. And somebody said, you know, I, I think somebody said recently that you could run a women's world, will you know, the entire team, everything, everybody, all the stuff on Chris Froome's salary. Well, I think I, the stat I heard the other day um, was the direct energy. I think all their whole team budget is That's the right. same as Froome's salary. Yeah. And so I would imagine if, you know, if they're a tour contender team and, you know, the women's teams are even, you know, they have less of a budget than Some men, maybe. Some probably even less than that. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's shocking, the disparity. And you see the racing, and they did a time trial that is the hardest time trial I've ever seen. Yeah, I really want to watch this video because I heard about this 30% gradients. Which was the- used in the Giro a few years ago. But on road, but, but it was a road stage, and it. And it they're went, on TT bikes. They're well. Some of them no, swap bikes. They oh, were, okay. They were all on road bikes, except for Van Vluten, who did it on her TT bike, and got up the hill on her TT bike and actually won that uh, that time trial. Wow. So what's cool is, you, the, I mean, well, what's cool or maybe not cool, but like, 
if you haven't watched the Giro Rosa, you can go to steephill.tv. They've got a link to every stage, has a UCI five-minute highlight video. Mm-hmm. And that's not nearly enough coverage, but... It's something. Least, it's in one spot. You can watch it all. You can get a, get a sort of idea. Uh, Megan Gournier, American, won the last stage. Yep. So, you know, kudos to her. Uh, Matt is saying that the back, uh, Orca has backstage pass video, so that's well, pretty cool. That's a well worth watching. Well, and let's take a quick step back also and contemplate at least just for a minute here that we're talking about an 11-stage, essentially, grand tour for women's racing, which... 10. 10. 10 stages? Yeah, 10. Yeah, I'm but it's the, it is the premier women's stage race in the world. Yeah, it's it, it, what, what's the next longest women's stage race? I think probably like the... Um, uh, the Women's Tour of Britain, which is which I've got what they call it. A full now. week. They keep changing the name of it. Uh, yeah, it's pretty. I think it's a full week. So yeah. Giro Rosa obviously is not an ASO race. No, it's probably run by RCS. Uh, I think it must be run by RCS because it's got the Giro. So there, it's interesting. So, I, is it, it put it at the same time as a tour? Is that like a good? That seems like not a great idea. But I guess you can't really. I actually think it makes a little bit of sense. Um, I, okay. I, I have all, I mean, just in terms of, you know, cycling's big right now. People are care, okay. care about cycling, point. you know, so you have it at the same time. What mystifies me is that it is why the tour doesn't do something like that during the, during the tour. Well, um, is, for at least some of the race. Is there still the, um, the final day? There is. It's changed this year it's though. It's three stages now? It's no, it's two, I think. I oh, think it's, something it's a ridiculous. time trial and a climbing stage, and it's not in Paris. So it's oh. actually, is it, it might be next weekend. It's not, it might not be the final. So weekend. there's not a, like a final, like, It might be when the tour's in the crits. Pyrenees. I think they're doing it in the Pyrenees. But there's not the final Paris stage? <laughs> no, they changed it this year. So they've added one more day, you know, which, uh, it just seems like it's so... Non-committal yeah, to me, right? Yeah. So, is the tour still finishing uh, in Paris at twilight? I think so. I think that's the new standard. So that thing. so they still could have done the women's race on the Champs Elysees. Yep. Champs Elysees. <laughs> so beautifully said there. Elysian fields. <laughs> on Elysian fields. Yes. Um. Anyway, mm-hmm. so lay tour on the Champs Elysees. Yeah. Yeah. La tour. Come on. Lay is plural. <laughs> yeah, I was joking. I know. I was also joking. Well, yeah, I mean, look, they, if, if you want my opinion, and my opinion doesn't count for much, and I probably... But this is your podcast, so yeah, we, I mean, we welcome your opinion. I, I just, they could do a women's, they could do a women's stage every day before the finish of the men's stage. You know, I mean, go ahead, make it a little bit shorter if you have to, if you have to do that. Start them a little bit earlier. They'll finish before the men. You know, screw the caravan with the stuffed animals and the waving shit and all this. You know, have a women's race finish first and let that be the, you know, the prologue to the men's finish. Yeah, you would get, as a spectator, you get, you'd be able to see... You get two races for one. Yeah, instead yeah. of seeing the riders for 10 seconds at times, you would get 20 seconds. And you could still have the caravan and all that mm-hmm. crap too, you know. Have, have any of y'all been to the tour? Yes. No. You have? I, no. Yeah, I went, went to the uh, Grand Depart in Yorkshire. Oh, very cool. Yeah. It's like four years ago? Uh, Two. Three. Three years ago. Three there you years go. Ago. Split the difference. 2014. <laughs> the one year Chris Froome didn't win. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I watched all that on TV. Yeah. It was awesome. I, I did not know you were there. Yeah, no, it went through my hometown. 
uh, on the first day and it went through the little village near us on the second day. So I actually walked over to watch the second stage. And what was your strategy for watching? Were you like hopping around seeing them in different parts or did you just watch uh, them go by once? He had a giant selfie could, stick that he was sticking out in the middle of not, the entire peloton as they passed through. Did you yeah, see the, did. the photos of the guys there? That was Matt. That was me. Yeah. That was me right in front of Team Sky as they came. No. Yeah, with the giant foam finger. Yeah. <laughs> You honestly, it was bananas. You could I was not. Wondering. You couldn't move around. So, on the first day, actually, I, I, we didn't get up to Yorkshire until late, like midnight the night before. Got to our hotel, and then I got up the next morning, and basically, me and the girls walked up the street to, and it was already packed with people, teeming with people. But we got to found a little grassy knoll that we could stand on. And, and see them come past. But this is on a flat section on the main road. Jens Voigt was in the break. There was like, what, like half a dozen guys in the break or whatever. So first of all, the caravan comes through, which is like the world's worst, fastest Mardi Gras parade. <laughs> because they're, they're going through at 30 miles an hour because they've got to stay ahead of the peloton. So they're going through at 30 miles an hour and there's all these French guys and there's like bad French pop music going, boom, 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 you know, blasting out and then there's people just throwing like one right. or two throws as they as they fly past going hello britain we love you <laughs> and then they're gone and then you wait and then there's a lot of vehicles come through you know police and ambulances and and you know uh motorcycles with photographers and all that kind of stuff and then eventually the brake comes through and then more vehicles come through and then the peloton comes through and it's about Two seconds in a cloud of dust. Ten to yeah, I mean, ten fifteen seconds for the whole, you know, for two hundred guys right. to ride past you, and that was it. And then it was like, okay, well, I guess we go to the pub now <laughs> and and watch it on the telly. But it was they had a great setup there, and the next day was kind of cool because it was in a little village and it was going through wine, and you could see them snaking through the streets as they came through, and it was a very small, windy section. Sure. So it was slower and everything, but. You d you can't really get to see much. It's it's. I think the best place to view the Tour de France has to be on a on a climb. Yes. Where yeah. You can definitely. Just camp out. Or, or the Champs Elysees, where you're watching multiple passes yeah, over actually, a couple of hours. A world that would the be world's the world's biggest crit. The world's biggest crit. Yeah, that would be actually kind of cool too. Yeah. Because you know they're flying. Um, but it is fun just being there. Oh, and that, being it's, around the whole atmosphere. It's, it's on my bucket list one day. Yeah. Well, guys, we're about to yeah before finish up our longest ever podcast here. I and, think uh, uh, before we go, there are a few other things I want to say. There's, I guess, housekeeping. I would say. Yeah. Speaking of women's cycling, I know that Elise, our teammate, has organized a half the road screening. Yeah. Right. Um, the documentary film uh, by Catherine Bertrine. Bertrine. Bertine. Bertine. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I watched that a few years ago. Yep. Um, we actually sponsored a viewing with Roulet a few years yeah. back at, a, at the uh, Palace Movie Theater. Very informative. Um, really good to see that perspective. So that's It's a great documentary unless you happen to be Brian Cookson and then you probably don't like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> when is that? I don't know. I think it's. I don't know exactly when that is. I should have that date 
if I'm telling you about it. But that would be handy. Let me. Uh, I believe while, while you're talking about other things, so I'll, I'll pull it up. so that's happening um, at Roulette. At Roulette. Also, if you are a fan of cyclocross and you might be following Ellen Noble, check out her Instagram. She's leading a sort of like junior women's camp this weekend, and it's really I've just been following along. She's super rad, mm-hmm. inspirational to see uh, what she's doing with these young women. And it got me pretty excited to shred my cross bike. All right, June, July 21st at Roulette at 7 p.m., uh, half the road screening. So go check that out. Happy Hour Prices. Happy Hour Prices. And that is in conjunction with their women's uh, 100K That's right. uh, ride that is happening that Saturday, weekend as well. Sunday. Is that part of the Rafa um, 100? Yeah. Yeah, so okay. then that Sunday, they're leading, uh, Nolan Women on Bikes uh, is leading a ride on the North Shore, um, and which reminded me, other housekeeping thing, you guys should all come out to Urban South Brewery on Friday night to watch whatever stage that is. Yep, it's uh, the this, 14th. This Friday? Bastille Day? Day? Yes. So we're going to be at, we're going to watch a replay of the tour in oh. the evening. There is going to be, I believe, first beer is free. Free? Did I First beer it? is free for uh, club members. For, for paid up club members. Yeah. So if you yeah. haven't paid your dues, pay up because the dues give you some good stuff. Lots yeah. of good so stuff. So we're watching Friday stage, Friday afternoon. Friday evening. So we just kind of have to stay away from social media that day. And also, real quick, while Charlie's in the house, That's shout right. out to Charlie and Bike Law for yes. coming on board this year as a sponsor of the club. Oh, yes. Very your, uh, your logo looks great. On the New Jersey, Charlie. New... I will say, and I had nothing to do with it. It looks great. Whoever put this all together, Townsend, I think yeah. you're kind of leading it up. Yeah, that was me and Tom uh, Futrell. Looks awesome. So that also, people can buy the new club kits. That's and right. So order. if you're a paid-up member of Semi Tough Cycling Club, you're going to get the discount on the kit. Is that correct? That's yeah. right. 35% discount on 35%. the kit. 35%. So that actually Pays, pays for itself. Pays for right itself, there. just I, being a member. I didn't even realize my membership had lapsed. Yeah. And I went and signed in, and it had. So I re-upped and... Good. But, there you go. Thanks, right. Charlie. And and then you'll also get a free beer. Yeah. So Every time you go. Not just on Friday. So being a member of Semi-Tough has a lot of perks. It's not, it's not very expensive, and there's a lot of perks, and it sort of helps us keep this... I don't know. Just We are able to do all kinds of cool things. Yeah. Basically, um, have parties. I'm hoping next week that I might have a little bit of information on maybe a new race venue. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say right now. Okay. But I'm hoping next week we can talk about that. Is it inside the Esplanade Mall? <laughs> <laughs> that would be sweet. Indoor mall. Ooh, tires for mall? <laughs> the mall. I forgot. We didn't even mention that bike lot. Charlie Thomas is also a sponsor of our Harbor Master Criterium. That's right. Once again, thank you for that, too. Of course, as you know, my my junior roots go deep uh, with Louisiana bike racing, so I love being on board. Who's in yellow next Monday? Chris Broom. Oh, gosh. I mean, so... Matt got to go first again this week. How did he get to go first again? I just my mouth. I got it. Um, Bodie, you go next. I want to go last. Okay, well, obviously I would pick Chris Froome, but you already picked Chris Froome. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to say, who's in, what's the, what's the podium? Froome, Aru, Bardet. 
and then around. I'm gonna say Bardet. You're gonna say Bardet is in yellow. Yeah. Gosh, you just you scooped you scooped my dark horse. Matt, don't whisper in my ear. <laughs> that wasn't my second choice, but. Um. So yes, I will take Matt's advice, and I will. Uh, I'm not actually taking Matt's advice, but I'm responding to his suggestion, and and I am going to pick Rigoberto Duran Duran. Charlie, what do you think? You get to pick. I'll just say I'm, I'm on the show, right? I get to pick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I root.